Today's episode is on volatility and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. Hi, everyone. This is David Lebowitz, global market strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management and the host of the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks for joining us for another episode, where today we plan on talking a little bit about volatility, and then more importantly, what you can do in your portfolio to take advantage of higher volatility as the business cycle continues to run its course. Interestingly enough, it's really been the lack of volatility that investors have recognized and kind of not complained about. I mean, very few people would complain about low volatility, but really kind of grabbed onto and focused on as one of the results of monetary policy, which has been historically easy, really at the global level for the better part of the past 10 years. It's interesting. Hindsight is obviously 2020. When we look back at what central banks have done Over the course of this cycle, we've seen interest rates held at zero around the world. We've seen policy rates pushed into negative territory in places like Europe and Japan. You know, this broader policy dynamic has coincided with the onset of quantitative easing. Quantitative easing used to be something that really you only saw come out of the Bank of Japan. Quantitative easing is now the cool thing to do. And arguably, you're not part of the cool central banker club if you're not out there buying trillions of dollars of your own government's debt, maybe even corporate debt. In the case of Europe, you know, quantitative easing, zero interest rates, all of this has conspired and really put downward pressure on the overall levels of volatility that have been observed over the course of this cycle. And you know, 2017 really sticks out like a sore thumb. On average, during the past 39 years, the S&P 500 usually falls by about 14% from peak to trough during the course of the year. However, in 2017, the largest drawdown we saw was a mere 3%. Now, that dynamic did kind of resolve itself in 2018 and 2019 so far, but volatility still feels a bit lower than one would expect at this point in the cycle. And so when we look at where the world is headed, we think that there's reason to believe that volatility is going to pick up going forward. 2018, solid year for the U.S. economy. Not quite as solid a year for the global economy, but you really had that benefit of fiscal stimulus and tax reform in the U.S., propping up those broader global growth figures. We definitely got a taste of volatility at the end of last year as the S&P 500 fell by nearly 20% from peak to trough during the fourth quarter. But concerns that led to that adverse market reaction seemingly resolved themselves in the first quarter of 2019 as the government shutdown ended and economic growth, not only in the U.S., but in Europe and around the world as well, ended up looking better than had been expected at the turn of the calendar year. It feels like despite the progress that we made in the first quarter, we are backtracking a little bit. Growth looks set to soften here globally into Q. And with this softening in global growth, at the same time, what we're seeing is a re-escalation of trade tensions and elevated policy uncertainty, not only as it pertains to trade policy, but as it pertains to monetary policy as well. You know, coming into this year, You had a lot of economists expecting the Federal Reserve would hike rates in 2019. Consensus now seems to be for 
one, maybe even two interest rate cuts between now and the end of the year. So we don't really know what to expect in terms of trade with China. We don't really know what to expect in terms of trade with Mexico. The economy is softening in 2Q, and that softening could be exacerbated if trade tensions take a more adverse turn. And meanwhile, it's still not really clear how the Federal Reserve is going to react to this broader dynamic. Will they stand pat? Will they cut? They probably won't hike, but the bottom line is that there is a massive amount of uncertainty out there, and uncertainty tends to lead to higher volatility. So we do think that given interest rates have moved higher over the past couple of years, and interest rates tend to lead volatility by about two years, given that interest rates have trended higher here over the past couple of years, given this broader uncertainty as it pertains to the trajectory of growth and the outlook for both monetary and trade policy. We do expect that volatility will be higher between now and the end of the year than it has been on average during prior years of this expansion. But while we could sit here and talk about volatility and central banks and these big structural themes until we're purple in the face, the question for investors really is, okay, so what do you do about it? What can I do in my portfolio to take advantage of volatility moving higher, or if not take advantage, play a little bit more defense than perhaps I have up until this point in the cycle? You know, generally speaking, we tend to see that higher volatility is good for hedge funds. We've done some work in our guide to alternatives looking at historical hedge fund returns by level of the VIX. We find that 20 to 25 on the VIX really tends to be the sweet spot for hedge fund returns. And as you see, volatility regimes move higher, that tends to lead to even more alpha being added by the underlying manager. So higher vol, lower correlations, wider dispersion, all things that we think will come to fruition over the next couple of quarters lend themselves quite nicely to better performance out of hedge funds, certainly relative to what we've seen up until this point in the cycle. So while we think that hedge funds are one way that investors can play offense in a higher volatility environment, you know, a lot of it comes down to playing a good defense and protecting your assets during periods of choppy markets. Our expectation for higher volatility has led us to really focus on assets that generate a bit more income than the average bear. So we still like carry assets within fixed income. Things like high yield continue to look attractive from where we sit, and that's directly tied to the fact that we think the underlying trajectory of earnings remains relatively healthy at the current juncture. Thinking about equity markets, tech, consumer discretionary, the FANG stocks, they've had a great run up until this point in the cycle. But historically, those types of names have derived most of their return from capital appreciation rather than income. You add on top of that the fact that tech feels like ground zero when it comes to trade tensions and the prospect of additional government regulation. And we're gravitating away from sectors like that and focusing more on things like financials, energy, and real estate, which have historically derived a greater share of their overall total return from the dividend that they pay out, right? In other words, they're less reliant on capital appreciation, less reliant on prices moving higher, and more reliant on that stream of income that these underlying companies are paying out. So we think that there are ways of playing defense in public markets, things like high yield, things like financials, real estate, maybe some energy stocks if you can stomach some of the volatility on a day-to-day basis. On the private market side of things, you know, we touched on hedge funds. Those are kind of a hybrid of public and private markets. We see a lot of opportunity in infrastructure 
at the current juncture. You know, infrastructure pays a relatively solid stream of income, but provides the potential for capital appreciation if the economy keeps growing. So to me, you know, an incremental dollar today can really be well spent in the infrastructure space. We're a little bit worried about private credit. We have a lot of people come to us and say, you know, should I be adding to private credit or should I set up an allocation to private credit at this point in the cycle? As we've discussed on prior episodes, we think that there are some structural risks to private credit as an asset class. And as a result, would be more focused on implementing distressed debt strategies, taking managers, incorporating managers who can play a little bit in high yield as the credit cycle continues to run, but then can take advantage of a rollover in that credit cycle and more attractive prices in the distressed area when the business cycle inevitably runs its course. The bottom line here is that volatility has been low, but it doesn't feel like low volatility is here to stay. It does feel like vol is accelerating going forward and in an environment of rising volatility, you know, from where I sit, the best offense is really a good defense. Thanks for tuning in today. Hopefully you'll join us again next time and let us know if you have any questions or feedback. We hope to see you again soon. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the JP Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chasing Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the MEA Privacy Policy.
For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong by J.F. Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, Co-Reg Number 197601586K or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, co-reg number 201-120-355-E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investments Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients, only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 5514383280, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients' use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Incorporated, and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, both members of FINRA, and J.P. Morgan Investment Management Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved.